You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Erin Carey, and we are doing another simulcast for you guys because it's so great to bring two ladies together who have so much experience in this area. And today we're going to be talking about moving the emotions and the feelings surrounded, the thoughts that surround it, and emotional regulation. And these are things that I really don't know that much about. So, Erin, what is emotional regulation? What does that mean? Well, it's, it's funny. Emotional regulation is really just, I would, I consider it really just taking care of managing your own emotions, you know, and staying in your lane and not taking your emotions out on everybody else, which is often what we tend to do when we are going through times of change or transition, or, you know, maybe something is happening to us that we can't control. And so we act out and we take part in behaviors that maybe are not super health promoting for us. Uh, but there are there are things that we can do to regulate in a healthy way. It's just, we're really not taught this growing up. I find it, kids aren't taught this. We aren't taught to manage our stress. We're taught how to write well and how to do the math. <laughs> but that's about, you know, we aren't taught about emotional regulation and, and managing stress because life is stressful. Right. Like how to calm yourself down, you know, like, yep. and, and, you know, I've got one kid who's a stuffer, you know, he stuffs all his mm-hmm. emotions. And I've got one kid who's like a, like a New York city radiator, you know, like the, the heater just blows. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, Krakatoa exploded. And, you know, neither of those are good ways to express your feelings and, and what's going on with you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's funny, my instincts at how I want to instinctually react have changed over time. I think there were times in my life where I stuffed, but I realized that stuffing didn't work because it always explodes like a volcano at some point, you know? And so then I kind of got into explosive mode, but now I'm realizing I've got to address my needs, self-care, I'm putting that in air quotes for the listeners. <laughs> I, I've got to engage in healthy self-care, things that are meaningful for me before it gets to that point. Because I can only, and really, I, I can't even do that, but I can only control how I respond to a situation. I can't control what happens to me, but I can, right. you know, that's, that's so cliche, but it's true. I can only respond how, control how I respond. And even then, it depends on how much I'm managing my emotions way ahead of time. And instead of just being in the moment, because most of us were just in the moment. And part of that, I wonder how much that comes from just this instant gratification culture that we're in. If we want to know the answer to something, we Google it. We have alerts going on at all times. And so I think our brains are right now just adapting to respond quickly. And we're reacting instead of taking time to sit in our emotions and to sit in our feelings. Right. Well, Sharon Silver, a parenting expert, has a great, um, she's got a great book out and she's got some great advice. And one of the things that she taught me was, she's like, you need to learn how to respond, not react. 
And mm-hmm. react means you just fly off the handle and whatever comes out of your mouth is whatever it is. And that can really hurt the people around you. And that can, that can kill your relationships. It can kill your, you know, husband and wife relationship. It can kill, you know, how your kids see you. Um, you know, your kids don't have to love you, but they don't have to hate you either. Like, you know, what comes out of your mouth can be really wounding. And so when we take a moment to figure out how we're going to react to a situation, um, that's a lot better result than just, or respond to a situation than just reacting. Like I actually was talking to her on the phone when my dad called and told me that my son, Max, who was 17 in his brand new car had an accident on the freeway. And Sharon goes, Sandra, She's like, focus now. She's like, you're going to respond. You're not going to react. Because my reaction was like, oh my God, what did you do? Were you speeding? Blah, 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 blah. And instead, I took a few moments, like she told me, and I said, okay. And I talked to her on the phone, like, are you okay? Is anybody hurt? Do we have the insurance? Blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and the situation could have gone either way, Aaron, but the way it went was respectful to him because it turned out not being his fault. And it was respectful to me because it's, you know, obviously my car, my insurance, my everything. So, you know, that was a much better exchange. And we could look back and remember the great way both of us handled it or that like that mom went nuts. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's so it's interesting that you mentioned that because just recently in our transition that we're going through with my family, we moved and we didn't just move like across town. We moved two hours away from everything that we know. And for my kids, they pick up on our emotions so strongly. And especially I have one kid who, whatever I'm feeling, he's going to feel it. He is my true empath, you know, and I, and I have found myself when I'm feeling stressed or when I'm wanting to, well, nobody's putting the dishes away or nobody's, you know, whatever, who is going to go pick this up? Like that really bothers him. And he really gets upset and I have to pause and take note of how I'm talking and how I'm explaining things because he picks up on the emotions that I'm not even saying, you know? And so it does start with me. It starts with how I'm managing. And if I don't get a good night's sleep, that's, that's a big part of it too. If I'm not sleeping well at night, because I'm waking up thinking about all of these thousand things that I have to do, or if I'm, you know, for me, I'm really big on managing blood sugar through food and trying to make sure that I'm feeding myself (laughs) because when we're stressed, we oftentimes just pick and choose food from around the house. We don't actually eat a full meal. And so if I'm not doing that, that affects my sleep. And so it, it really is all tied together. And so making sure that I am fed and nourished, making sure that I'm getting good sleep, making sure you know, we've talked a lot before about just not on, not on a podcast, but to the side about the morning pages journaling and how important that is. I realized recently, oh, I haven't gotten to sit out and write my thoughts in days, you know? And so of course I'm coming out sideways at all these people in my life because I'm not giving myself a chance to process first. And that's important. Right. And you can't, I'm just going to say this. I have never met anybody in my 20 years of coaching clients and developing leadership. I've never met anyone that can simply process in their head. No. For those people who are like, I'm not going to journal. I don't want to journal. It doesn't work. You know, and journaling takes different forms, Erin. It doesn't mean you have to sit down and write every single feeling. Like sometimes when I coach, you know, military guys or I coach, um, you know, older men, they're not journalers, but they're bullet pointers. Guess what? 
that's a journal. You know, sometimes my kid, my younger one, when he does his feelings, he'll start doodling. Guess what? that's journaling. Like everybody has this perception of journaling that it has to be like some lock and key diary where you write all your deepest thoughts and feelings. No, it's a brain dump. Like it's literally just a brain dump on paper. And my dad is so funny because he's like, oh, those journals are for girls. Like that's a girl thing. Yet when my father was at his peak with his company, he used to take notes on napkins of what he was thinking. And he has all these napkins because he traveled a lot. So he'd be somewhere in a hotel, you know, restaurant, and he'd, he'd write all these things on a napkin and he'd come home and he'd save a couple of these napkins. They had his great ideas on them. So I'm like, what is journaling? You're like, it's literally just putting your thoughts on paper, whatever they look like. Yeah. Well, do you find that there's a difference because somebody might be listening to this because I've, I've done this before, like, oh, I just keep notes in my phone. Do you find that there's a difference when you are actually putting pen to paper from head to pen to paper than typing something up on your computer or Absolutely. putting it in your phone? Absolutely. And I think it goes back to, you know, and I did some research on this because I had big arguments with my older son who he's a phone guy. And he's like, I'm just going to type it in on my phone. I'm just going to use my phone. And I'm like, think of cavemen. Okay, going back to cavemen time, they would draw notes, they would draw pictures on the walls of caves. So there's something in our hard wiring about picking up some sort of instrument, whether it's a pen, a paintbrush, a stick, and creating something. You also use a lot more neural connections. We've proved that, that the more you use pen and paper, the more engagement, because you have to, you know, form the letter. You have to do all these things. That's why writing something down in your, your day planner sticks in your head much faster than just typing it into your phone, because we don't engage the brain as much, and we don't engage, you know, body movement. And so, yes, I think that our brains have not evolved fast enough to get the same benefits journaling on a computer, journaling on a phone than they do with a pen and paper. That's my belief. And that's what I've seen in practice with all of my clients. Yeah. And I also wonder, like you said, back to the brain thing, I wonder if there's something about using your hand going from, you know, left, to right, or I guess right to left, depending on what your language, what language you're writing in. Um, you know, I think that there's something even to that and that movement, because I know when we're talking about walking, there's something about the, um, way you're walking and you're moving your arms and your legs back and forth like that does something so i wonder if it's the same kind of therapeutic connection happening when you're actually writing with your hand because typing you're really just staying in one place even if you're on your phone your fingers are just staying in one place so well, yeah it makes me wonder we know that kids when when kids have trouble with their short-term memory we know that that's an issue with the hippocampus in the brain and the hippocampus also is the function that does our gross motor movements like our walking throwing a ball which is why if you have a kid that's having trouble remembering his timetables for example you know or he's having trouble and you have him bounce a ball or throw a ball or move his arms a certain way all of a sudden they remember their times tables better and they have a better chance of getting those into the long-term memory. So there is definitely something about how our brain is wired and, you know, in our short-term memory and our, you know, our feelings, all those things like that are short-term, they're temporary, right? You know, like every 15 mm. minutes, ask a woman how she feels about a purchase she made yesterday. She'll have a different answer. There was actually <laughs> a study done like this and I, I'm trying to find it because it's hilarious. They had these women buy a pair of shoes 
then rate the shoe purchase like every 15 minutes and then or every half hour or something like that for the whole day. And they went from, I love these shoes. I probably shouldn't have spent this much money. Maybe I should take the shoes back. <laughs> like, you know, it went through this whole cycle, you know, so thoughts and feelings are temporary. And when mm -hmm. we look at short-term memory, that's also temporary. So I really think that there's something to do with this journaling and the hippocampus and the idea that we have to pick up a pen and form letters or pencil or color, make choices, move versus just like tittle our thumbs. Yeah, no, that's so interesting because it does make me think about if that's the case, if we're changing our opinion on <laughs> a purchase every 15 minutes, I mean, gosh, if we could sit down and actually process, going back to processing, what we're feeling about like some of these big life things that are going on, how that would affect our day-to-day -day and how our emotions are changing because they are changeable. And I think that's one of the big problems with this whole you know, trying to regulate your emotions during a change, during a big life transition, is that any little trigger can set you off if you're sure. not managing your emotion or managing your stress or whatever, any little thing. And for me, you know, my go-to is always like, okay, well, I need to get sleep. What happened to me the other day I thought was so interesting is my left eye kept twitching. And I am really big on if your body has a symptom, your body is trying to tell you something that your brain can't yet process. <laughs> and my eye twitching was my body telling me, okay, you think you're sleeping and you think you're getting this good sleep, but are you actually resting? Are you actually slowing down and taking time? Like, I can't tell you the last time I even like, put makeup on and did my hair because I'm so busy doing other things. Right. It's I'm, I'm taking care of everybody else and their emotions. And I'm taking care of all the things that are happening in our house and job stuff. And it's, it just feels like there's a lot going on. And so I haven't really taken the time to do any one thing. Well, so my eye was telling me that my eye just kept twitching like, Hey, this, this is wearing on me. So <laughs> gotta right. slow it down. Gotta slow it down. Absolutely. Cause you know, and I, I feel you because I spent the last week working for a company in Minnesota. So I was in and out of hotels. I was driving and I was having all these things. And it's funny you mentioned the eye twitch because I had one down here and it just kept <laughs> wiggling, like just kept wiggling. And I'm like, what are you trying to tell me? You know, is this, is this something? And normally I would have ignored it, but all the shows I've done with you, all the work I've done together with you made me think about, I think it's my quality of rest. And then I'm like, when am I resting? Aaron, I'm sleeping on airplanes. I'm sleeping on trains. Mm -hmm. I'm sleeping in a hotel room. Like none of those are conducive for good sleep. Yeah, no, for sure. And then even when you go to sleep, you're probably just crashing because you're, so you're not actually going, I'm going to take some time to read here. I'm going to take some time maybe to write down, do a brain dump before bed. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, take a nice relaxing bath. All of these things that we say as part of a good, you know, sleep hygiene or whatever, um, that doesn't happen during times of, you know, whether it's momentary stress or especially for people who are dealing with chronic stressful situations, you know, it's really hard to just sit down and go, okay, I'm going to schedule this in, or I'm going to do this. And it, it doesn't happen until our bodies tell us, Hey, right. <laughs> here's something's wrong here. Um, it's funny. My husband, even he notices we've connected something with his knee, his knee will start giving him problems when he's under extreme emotional stress. And I think that that's interesting. Yeah. Like, I think our bodies, 
you know, I always say your body's on your side, your body's your teammate. And if you're playing a team sport and you're say it's basketball, your teammate falls, you can't just keep playing because you need your teammate, you know, and, and it's, the game is going to not work out very well if you are playing with one less person. And it's true for our bodies too. Like we, we get so angry at our bodies for these symptoms that we're facing. Like he's like, Oh, my knee, I can't run like I used to, cause my knees bothering me. But instead of asking, Oh, wait, what are you telling me? You know, what is my body telling me? This must be a symptom that something else is going on. There's something else that's out of balance and I need to address whatever that thing is. And I do think a lot of it, 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 our stress shows up in our physical ailments. Absolutely. It does. I hate to interrupt today's discussion, but I've got to jump in real fast. If you like what you're hearing on today's show, but you want to know how to make health changes work for your body and brain, I would love to work with you. Learn more when you go to sparkingwholeness.com slash coaching to schedule your session with me. I offer personalized programs that meet you right where you are. I take everything I've learned from all these amazing experts who have been on my show, my own training from the Institute for Integrated Nutrition and the School of Applied Functional Medicine, and I mix it all up with my own personal flavor, and we work together to start your journey to wholeness. Go to sparkingwholeness.com slash coaching. I would love to work with you. Okay, I'll shut up now. Back to the show. You know, like this morning, I had to get up at five in the morning and take some Tylenol or I don't remember what I took, but something like that, because I had this wicked headache. And I'm like, Mm. I haven't woken up with a wicked headache, Erin, in years. Now I went through what, 14 months of chemotherapy, like you think I should have the wicked headaches then, but I know it was from going 100 miles an hour for the last 10 days. And, you know, I was actually looking at my fitness watch, you know, I love my fitness watch, because I look at my sleep. And I look at how good my sleep is, or how not good my sleep is. And I was horrified to find that the whole week that I was working in Minnesota, I never slept more than six hours a night. And there were two nights, one where I got three hours and coming home on the airplane, I got two and a half, like, hello, but you know what? We just push our bodies thinking they're like inexhaustible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't that funny? And we, and maybe for a time we could do that when we were younger, but it does catch up to you, you know? And that's why even I tell my daughter who is a teenager, she's 16, you know, I'm, I'll tell her like, Hey, you can only do this for so long, this whole, like eating popcorn for lunch type of thing, you know, like all these behaviors that were like, Oh, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Or I'm sleeping here and there are staying up way too late. And then waking up too late, throwing off the circadian rhythm for a time it works just fine. But eventually it does catch up to us because our bodies are things that we need to take care of and nurture and not just not <laughs> ignore just, and yeah, treat like crap. Run into the ground. Yeah. Because uh-huh. yeah. I was really thinking I'm going to have to rethink my MO when I fly, Erin, is I always take the earliest flight they offer on a Sunday morning because most people oversleep. A lot of people don't want to leave on a Sunday morning. They want the whole day. And I'm like, when I do my Sunday morning flights and they're like 5 30, 6 a.m. at a Sunday morning, the plane is empty. I can lay down and sleep. You know, I can do all these things. And I'm like, but my body was really rejecting that because that meant getting up at 3 30. It's an hour ride to the airport, Ugh. you know, 4 30 check-in for the 5 30 flight. And I used to stay up all night 
and then just go in and then still get, you know, take a nap when I get into the city and then work all week and do the same thing coming home. And I'm like, this is insane. And I can't do that anymore. You know, I just, I mean, I could, if I had to, if you put a gun to my head, of course I could, but it was, it really messed me up for the whole week. And my, as a result, my emotions, like I'm weepy, you know, like, I feel like I I could start to cry at any moment. And I know I'm not hormonal. I know I'm not anything other than ill-fed, (laughs) ill-rested and stressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wonder, does it throw off your, your hunger cues too? Cause I notice when I don't get a lot of sleep, I'm eating more either sugary or super salty, like carby things. It's like, I want carbs. Yep. And I don't know. It makes me wonder if that's a survival response in my brain, you know, cause when our brain is in survival mode, our brain wants glucose, our, our brain wants whatever that quick source of fuel is. And glucose yep. is the quick source of fuel. And so for me, when I have little sleep or when if I, I'm going through a period of a lot of stress, my eating habits change Absolutely. because I just want things that are carby, starchy, sugary, whatever it is, because that's instant fuel instant like this is going to make me feel a little bit better in the moment and then I got to get on and do what I need to do of course that kind of perpetuates the cycle of not feeling great too depending what I'm having well yeah it perpetuates a whole lot of things because you're you're going so fast like like in your move you know everything's happening at once and your kids are having their emotions with your move and you're you're moving all these boxes and you're you know you're you're also having the emotions of saying goodbye to your old place and moving to your new place there's all sorts of emotions around moving and so you're not sleeping well you're grabbing on the go and you know when you need a quick fix you're not going to stop and make yourself a wonderful protein shake with fiber (laughs) and you know you're just gonna rip open a bag of chips with your teeth and shove some down and keep going like all of those come together did you find that happened with your move Oh, 100%. Yes. And it's, and I will say to be fair, there were a lot of people that were bringing us meals, which is amazing. And I was overwhelmed with kindness of almost strangers, you know, like there are a lot of people that were like, Oh, are you, do you need food? We'll bring you a meal. And so, you know, so I had a lot of stuff that was available here and there, but I wasn't sitting down for a meal. Oh, and that's a whole other story that I can add to this whole piece of emotional regulation is that we didn't have a table to eat at for days. So one table, we ordered a new table. I'm not going to say where it came from because that would just be wrong, but we ordered a new table and the table legs, it was one that you put together yourselves. We, we said, yes, we will put it together ourselves. No problem. And the two table legs came in damaged, like extremely damaged to the point where we had to get new ones. Well, they only sent one. They didn't send two. So I waited 38 days, 38 oh. days to have a table. Like then the other table that we had, that was just a smaller dining room table for our kitchen. We were refinishing it. So we had days where I couldn't even sit down. And I think sitting down to eat a meal is so important for digestion. It is so important for all sorts of reasons, especially when we're talking about sitting down and eating with other people. It helps lower your cortisol. It helps your stress levels, you know, all of that. But I couldn't even do that for days. So I for sure was just grabbing things here and there, not really paying attention to, like you said, like, well, I'm going to include my protein and my fiber and my, (laughs) it was just, here is what it is. But back 
back to the, the table example, it became a metaphor for my life at that point. Because every time I walked by my dining room, I saw this huge box just sitting there that we couldn't open, couldn't do anything with. And every single time the negative thoughts just came in like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they have it. I'm going to call them again. I'm going to call them again. And I'm going to tell them how I really feel. And I'm going to demand a refund. And then I'm going to find a truck because we don't own a truck. And I'm going to load up the <laughs> big box into a truck and I'm just going to take it back to where I ordered. You know, like I had all of these negative thoughts. Well, that made me feel real crappy for the rest of however long I ruminate on those negative thoughts. So at one point I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to change that because I can't do this to myself anymore. Like I'm waking up in the middle of the night thinking about this stupid table. So I ended up switching it. And I said, every time I walk by that table, I'm going to go, it's going to happen how it will happen. And, or just some other, I came up with all of these different mantras to tell yeah. myself. And because all I was doing by being annoyed with that stupid table, <laughs> which now is a wonderful table, really grateful for it because we got the table like we needed. But all I ended up doing was making it worse on myself. Sure. You know, like the, the right. company the right company doesn't care. They the don't cable care. doesn't care. No. And, but I was making it worse for myself and I was making it worse for my family because that put me, when I see that, that triggers, you know, all these negative thoughts. Well, that kind of puts me in a bad mood for the rest of the day. Then my kids are asking for stuff and I'm like, I don't know. We don't have a table, you know, <laughs> like just this, <laughs> like, what does that have to do with anything? It no. just pops up that way. Wait, where's so your, I don't know. We don't have a table. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. And so I, it was such a good, I, I think what I'm really, trying to take from this time of transition that we're in is just there are so many lessons we can learn and I know you know another one of those cliche things that we see pop up on Instagram and Facebook and all that is like instead of asking why is this happening to me ask what is this teaching me and of course in the moment you can't really stop it I mean nobody's really gonna no. stop and go oh what is this what am I going to learn from this but now I am kind of stepping aside and going okay there are some really cool things happening in this process of transition and this process of stress and I can I, I can lean into this and going back to emotional reg regulation, it's leaning into feelings. We have to lean into uncomfortable and unpleasant feelings and emotions. Otherwise it absolutely is going to come out sideways all throughout our body and all out on everybody else who's around us too. Yeah. And I think most of us grew up fearing negative emotions, fearing the ugly emotions. And, you know, what I found is, and, and Judy Brizantine wrote a great book on grief and dealing with ugly emotions. And she taught me that you can't sit with an ugly emotion for very long. Like try to be really mad. See if you can stay really mad for more than like a minute or two. See if you can ugly cry for more than a minute or two. Like it passes. Now, does that mean you can like ugly cry all over the place or make, you know, you know, blow up and blow out? No, but sitting with those emotions, because you said a very important thing when you were talking about, you know, the kind of the table leg emotions, like once you, once you slow down enough, once you calm down enough, and that's what, you know, morning pages or journaling in the morning or sitting down, collecting your thoughts on a napkin, that'll work too. You know, you had to slow down enough to really start thinking about and processing what was going on so that you can get the gifts out of the experience. Because if we don't, then we just are destined to blow through another situation until we get it. Yep. Absolutely. And because there's always going to be another situation, <laughs> there's right, always right. going to be another table leg or something else that happens. that just puts us into that, that mindset. Yeah. That state of chaos. 
Mm-hmm. And that's when you, you know, you talk about emotional regulation, you know, I used to have these things, the kids called Friday cry days. They're like, okay, mom's getting on Friday cry day, because as a single mom, I would go, go, go. So by about four o'clock on Friday afternoon, I would stop holding my breath because I'd hold my breath all week long, like trying to get everything done and running, running, running. And then Thursday, I would be like just absolutely off the wall. And then Friday, I'm working, working, working. Then I pick up the kids from school at 3.15. You know, the kids, our treat was like they would get a like an ice cream or something from like a McDonald's or some one of those drive-thrus. So we get the drive-thru and I could feel myself driving up my canyon starting to calm down. And then all of the feelings would start to unload and my face would get red and I'd start to sniff and the kids would go, Oh my God, it's Friday cry days, you know, because that would be that letdown. The minute I slowed down was when all those emotions came out because when you're flying, those emotions are getting stuffed right and left. And you're going to deal with them later. Almost like imagine dragging a bag around with you and every every hour you throw a couple rocks a couple stones in this bag so by the time you get to you know whenever you slow down and you put that bag of rocks down all of a sudden they start tumbling out and if you if you don't do what I did which is cry in the car on the way home you know you can sit down and start putting those rocks down on a regular basis yeah and I I think that that's What's so good about that is I think we have to also be willing to be okay with both. We have to be okay with sometimes we do just have to go on autopilot and we just have to get done what needs to get done because of whatever season we're in, whatever situation we're in. And we, we don't necessarily have time to sit and journal or process or, and that's okay too. And we have to be okay with that. And we have to give grace to ourselves when we're in that situation, but also we got to make sure that we are making space for the other on the flip side, because we need both, you know, I mean, I think there are times of survival and there are times where we got to sit and soak it all up and take it in and, and, and embrace what's going on and embrace the chaos and embrace the transition and be willing to lean into it. Yeah. There's gotta be a way to health healthily do both. I think so. You know, yeah, because you can't always just sit down and journal out your feelings. However, I do carry my little journal with me and I carry a portable journal. It's like a little piece of paper. Like it's one of those little like, like field books, you know, they're, they're maybe 40 pages. They're really light. I always have one in my backpack. I always have one handy because if I have a really strong emotion. And then when I can get to a table or I can get to my hotel room or I can get to my car, even just writing out a few of those feelings, like I am so mad that this happened, or I am so upset, or I am so sad. That's how I start out those things. Like, I think a lot of people need to know it's as simple as grabbing a post-it and saying, I am so angry at my boss because he did this and this and this and this and this. And, you know, and you go through and you end up getting clarity, you know, as you go along, like you start to see his point of view and maybe he's right. And, you know, you're just, you know, need to eat and blah, blah, blah. you go through this whole thing and then rip it all up in little pieces. So nobody sees it. Um, yeah. You know, but we need to express it somehow. And you can't ex- always express it at your boss. You'll get fired. You can't express right. it at your kids. You know, they'll hate you. Like we've got to, we've got to have better tools. Yeah. And, and I think it's okay to carve that time out. Like this is my time that I'm going to, you know, do like I, my Saturdays, I 
try to spend a couple hours reading fiction because for whatever reason, reading fiction is my therapy. It's not reading some book about nutrition or brain health or, you know, whatever, which is what I oftentimes will turn to, especially during the week as I'm learning and trying to research more. But during the weekend, I just want my brain to go somewhere else. And I have to make space for that. Like I have to plan, okay, what book am I going to read this weekend and just take my time, take time out for that. Or if I have some time, it was, gosh, it was the day before my birthday this year. I took myself out to lunch and I just sat, I brought my journal and I tried to not even be on my phone with myself, you know, cause we often do that. Like before at restaurants with other people, we'll put the phone down, but I was like, I don't even want to be distracted for myself. I'm going right. to sit and enjoy. And I've got my journal. I can write out some. And when I did that, I thought I need to plan this all the time. I need to be yeah. doing this to just kind of get over that, that, um, whatever you want to call it, the, the overwhelm to get over the yeah. overwhelm. Does that even make sense? Well, it's too kind <laughs> if we don't, it's going to all begin. Well, I call it landing every, every third Friday of the month is my date with myself. And I did learn this from Julia Cameron's book. You know, she has these artist dates and, you know, I'm not an artist. And so I'm not going to have an artist date, but I do have every third, th a third Friday of the month, I get somebody to pick up my kids from school and I take myself out to lunch and I go somewhere stupid. It's like $8. No, you know, I'm not going out for some mm -hmm. big fancy dinner or anything like that, but I will leave the house about 11 o'clock. I get everything I need done, leave at 11. And then I sit at the restaurant, like I just pick a table and I bring my planner with me and I start dumping all my stuff in there, you know, for work. And then I start thinking about what's, what's going well with me, what's not going well, you know, where can I improve or what can I let go of? And I really, I sit there with a piece of paper and I, I look through my old weeks of my day planners to see what was my life like, mm -hmm. you know, and what, what's not working for me. Like I noticed clients that I kept seeing certain clients over and over in my book having to reschedule. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to drop those clients because they're too much work. They're messing up my week. And then, you know, I also got some ahas where I'm like, oh my gosh, like Max is going the same place Zach is, you know, even though it's a 15 minute difference or half an hour difference, they could ride together instead of me driving. Like, you know, you can mine your own old planners for really good tips. And then I looked and realized I have a really good chance of canceling my workouts if they're after three o'clock. Mm. So if I work out in the morning, those are like 95% accuracy. But if I don't work out in the morning and I schedule in my planner a 4.30 or a five o'clock workout, because when I don't do them, Erin, I cross them off my planner. And if I do them, I put a check mark. So that way I have a visual cue of going, what's working in my life, what's not. And then I start thinking about like, you know, what would I like the next month to look like? And I don't do it. The reason I do it the third week of the month is because I still have another week of the month to finish what's going on. Because otherwise you get all excited going, okay, I'm going to do this next month and I'm going to plan this. And I'm going to plan that. And you haven't finished even your, you haven't even finished your month. And that also gives me from a mental health standpoint, like when I look to my future month and go, okay, this weekend, I'm going to go out to Santa Barbara, or I'm going to go to Ventura. I'm going to go to the beach. And I'm going to plan these three days gives me something to look forward to. So it's not just grind after grind after grind. And I think that wears on us. 
Mm -hmm. And that's something to look forward to is it's a really key part in mental health as well. You know, just having something to look forward to and having, and that's what even for me, it's like, I have a book to look forward to on Saturday, as silly as that is, no. like that is, that's important for me. Or, um, you know, like we usually do take out or go out to eat somewhere again, nothing special, nothing fancy, but we do cook a lot of our meals at home. So it's like something to look forward to is, Ooh, what restaurant can we try? Or because we're in a new city, what's some fun hole in the wall out of the way place that we can try out. And that's again, something to look forward to. That's just outside of the, just the daily grind of getting stuff done and barely, you know, doggy paddling above the water, which I feel like so many of us are caught up in no matter what stage of life we're in. That's just kind of the way right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Well, Aaron, it's been a pleasure to have you today and um, having a simulcast with you is always fun. I love always fun. Get to share everything with both our audiences. Um, we'll be back again next week with another great episode. All right. This is fun. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.